If, you, uh, if you're here for the first time, or maybe it's been a little while since you've been here, we are in the middle of a sermon series that I've wanted to preach since I was called to be a preacher. It's, the sermon series is entitled Return to the Upper Room, and we've been just kind of putting our hearts and our mind and our thoughts and our focus back on that, that night before Jesus took the cross during the Last Supper. We've been looking at John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. Today we get to the end of John 14, so we've been going verse by verse And we've been listening closely to hear the very heartbeat of Jesus from his last words at his last supper. And again, we're going to be at the end of John 14 today as we're going to be at John 14 verses 28 through 31. And the title of our sermon here this morning is A Savior Who is Out of This World. A Savior Who is Out of This World. And well, as I began to prepare my heart and my mind uh, for this message I have a story I want to share with you that has to do with my grandmother, and and you may laugh and you may uh, cast stones, but then, of course, I can turn it right back on you, but we'll let the joke be on me first. So my grandmother was a very, very unique woman. Uh, Her name is Betty Fulginetti, and Betty Fulginetti uh, owned a children's clothing store pretty much my whole life. My father owned it after her until he sold the business a couple years ago, so I know as I look around this room and I see a bunch of family businesses over here, I grew up in a family business. I worked at the store as soon as I could see over the countertop. And my grandmother lived and breathed that store. 1010 Lincoln Avenue, Prospect Park, Pennsylvania. They had two storefronts, and then they had two apartments above the store. And my grandmother lived in one of those apartments with my grandfather, and my father was raised up in that little uh, apartment. And that is what my grandmother knew. She knew that store. Now, outside of that store... Life carried on without her, and she had no clue. To her, all she knew was that cash register. All she knew was that clothing that she wanted to sell to the community. And I learned this when I went towards the end of her life. She was in her mid-80s, about a year or two before she died. I was in the apartment above the store, and we were sitting there having dinner, me and her and I think my father and my brother. And I was eating a Philly cheesesteak, Okay, I got it from two doors down at a pizzeria in Philly or in Delaware County outside of Philly. And I was eating a cheesesteak and my grandmother looked at me and said, oh, that's nice. What's that? <laughs> and I looked at my grandmother. I said, my mom, this has been a staple in our city for 200 years. I got it from two doors down. You've never heard of a Philly cheesesteak? And she said, no, but that's nice. And I looked at my father. I said, is she kidding me? And he looked at her and he, he looked at me and he said, Bo, if it's not in the store, she doesn't know it. And the reason why is this. My grandmother, right or wrong, she had a box. And you could actually find the address to her box. It was 1010 Lincoln Avenue where that store was. And inside that box is life. And anything outside of that box, she was oblivious. Now again, I can't wait to see my grandmother in heaven. She did know Jesus and loved him. Uh, If she ever left the store, it was to go to church, sometimes multiple times a day because she was very faithful to her church. But all of us in this room are just like my grandmother. The only difference is some of you have boxes that are a little bit bigger. But oh, make no mistake about it, you have a box. And the problem with that box is we think that life and what is real about life is only what we see inside that box. And what we try to do, and all of us do it, I I struggle with this as well, we try to take Jesus Christ and squish him into our box. 
We think Jesus loves all the same people we love. He hates all the same people we hate. He votes the same way we vote. He goes to the same places we go. He listens to the same music we listen to. And when people challenge what's inside our box, we think Jesus is going to come to the rescue because at the end of the day, the only thing that's real is what we can see inside that box. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches The Bible teaches that Jesus, although he entered into our box to save us from our box, he does not fit inside of our box. He is a savior who is out of this world. And my hope today, as we look at John 14, verses 28 through 31, is that we would maybe try to to enter into the thoughts of the, uh, the disciples there on that Thursday night as Jesus was getting ready to be crucified. And as the disciples could not understand what was happening on Friday because they couldn't see Sunday, maybe we'll put ourselves in their shoes and say, maybe we can't understand what God's doing in our life right now, but we'll learn to trust him because he's not living inside our box. He's transcended it. That's who Jesus is. So what's our big idea in one sentence as we look at John 14, verses 28 through 31? In one sentence, Jesus is set apart as a Savior who is out of this world because he exceeds all earthly expectations. Jesus is set apart as a Savior who is out of this world because he exceeds all earthly expectations. So if you want to know about Jesus as a Savior who is out of this world, would you join me by turning to the book of John, book of John chapter 14. We're going to be at the end of the chapter, starting in verse 28, moving down through verse 31. If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you or beside you. We're on page 1071 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, Inerrant and fully sufficient word, we are, again, John chapter 14, starting in verse 28, down through verse 31. Hear God's word to us through his servant, the apostle John, giving us the very words of Jesus himself. Jesus says, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the father for the father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We cling to you at this hour. Lord, I pray in this moment, as all of us are in this room thinking about the past, trying to understand it, we're thinking about the present and trying to see you in it, and we're thinking about the future, trying to understand and predict what you're going to do with it. But Lord, we're stuck in a box. We can only see five feet in front of our face you are beyond the box. Yes, you sent your son to come into our box to save us from it, but you are not restricted by it. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to hear the words of Jesus this morning. As the disciples were slow to understand, so are we. But help us to trust that even though we don't understand what's happening inside our box, you stand outside of it and you're in control of it. And as, as Clayton was singing earlier, you have promised good to us. You have promised us eternal life in Christ. 
So be with us and help us to taste that today and trust you more when we leave than when we came in. It's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, amen. amen. So what do I mean when I say in the title of the message, a savior who is out of this world? Well, I mean it kind of in two different ways. First, when I say Jesus is out of this world, I want you to understand that he exceeds all the limitations of time and space. All right, Jesus is God. He has always existed. He never not existed as the second person of the Trinity. And therefore, God is in the past, present, and future all at one time. That's enough to make your head explode. You and I can understand that. We can remember the past and we can hope for the future. We can only be present in the present. But God transcends that. So Jesus is out of this world because he transcends the limitations of time and space. But also, I also want to mean that Jesus exceeds the limits of earth's glory. That he's out of this world because he's greater than anything this world has to offer. And that's, that's what I want to set the stage for as we enter back into John 14. And again, I want you to be thinking like a disciple. All right, again, if you haven't been here or if it's the first time you've been here, a long time since you've been here, let's put our mind back on the Last Supper. It's Thursday night. They're in the second room of this nameless house in Jerusalem. They're practicing a Passover meal. And they think that Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going to meet with the religious leaders and there's a good chance they may anoint him king of the Jews and they will overtake the Romans. But Jesus told them before that supper, and Jesus is telling them during that supper, I'm not building the kingdom that you've built for yourself inside your box. My plans are bigger. And I am going to Jerusalem. And I will be with the leaders and the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. I will talk with them, but they're not going to put a golden crown on my head. They're going to put a crown of thorns on my head. And they're going to kill me. And the disciples could not get this. And Jesus knew that as he led them to the upper room. Again, there's a reason why there's 155 verses in these five chapters on one meal. Jesus had a lot to say. And he's saying the same thing to them over and over and over again. He's saying, stop putting me in your box. In your little box, the disciples are saying in this little box, they think Jesus is going to give them political victory over Rome. That's why they've been following him. They don't understand fully that he says, no, I'm coming to build an eternal kingdom. And this is a kingdom that starts in the hearts of man and will not become a physical kingdom until Christ dies, rises, goes to be with the Father, and comes back a second time. So they're trying to fit Jesus in the box and they don't quite understand. And so in this passage in John 14, verses 28 through 31, Jesus begins to repeat himself on what his plan is and he's trying to get them to take him out of the box. To make it real simple, I'll say this. The disciples could not see past Friday, but Jesus was already living in Sunday. The disciples could not consider, could not fathom a Roman cross but Jesus already saw an empty tomb. And so as they struggled to trust Jesus as he told them what he's gonna do, I want you to listen closely today because perhaps as you're living in your own little box, you don't understand why God's doing what he's doing, but he lives outside of your box and he's good and he's in control. So as Jesus wanted his disciples to trust him, 
I believe he wants us today to lean into him and trust him a little bit more as well. So let's uh, look together at three ways that Jesus is set apart as a savior who is out of this world based on the text. And let's look, number one, Jesus is set apart as a savior because his plan is out of this world. Listen to verse 28. Again, Jesus has repeated this over and over because he's trying to raise trust and lower fear so the disciples will be prepared that he's about to die. He says in verse 28, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now, the first thing we need to recognize, again, this makes no sense to us unless we can see it uh, from 30,000 feet, but you can't see it while you're in the box, right? Jesus is saying, the only way that I can save the world is if I leave the world. I'm going to have to die, and I'm going to have to rise, and then I'm going to have to ascend to the Father to send down the Holy Spirit, our divine helper who will live inside of us and help us in our walk until Christ comes back. That makes no sense to us until we can see it after Sunday but right now it's Thursday and they're getting ready for Good Friday and they don't understand it and Jesus says I already told you this and I'm going to tell you again I'm going away but I'll come back for you but then he says if you stop trying to stick me in your box if you stop trying to understand and think like men think and you start thinking like God thinks if you really love me and you trust that I know what's best you would have rejoiced when I told you I was leaving and the disciples, I'm sure, were sitting there with the bread and the, and the cup and they're drinking and eating and listening and thinking, Jesus, if I love you, I want you to be with me. Why would I rejoice that you're leaving me? They, they just couldn't see beyond their little box. And Jesus says, this is good for you. This is what's best for you. Jesus is saying, if I don't leave, if I don't die and rise and go up to send the Spirit down, you will not be with me for eternity. This is what is best. His plan is simply out of this world. And he also makes a, an interesting statement. He says, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. Now Jesus sounds a little bit confusing because a little bit earlier in John, Jesus says, I and the Father are one and the same. But now he says the Father is greater. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, certainly... Jesus is every bit as much God as the Father is, okay? They're co-equal, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, three persons, and all of them are equally and 100% God. So obviously, Jesus means something different when he says, the Father is greater than I. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the realm of glory that the Father is in, that is the realm that I am returning to at his right hand, and it is greater than the realm that I am in right now. And it's the realm that I'm bringing you to when I come back. That's what Jesus is saying. He is, it's not an issue of worth. It's a realm of glory. And that's where he's going. And Jesus says, if you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going back to be in the glory of God at the right hand of the Father. And you would rejoice because if you trust me, you know that's where I'm coming back to take you to. But they still were struggling to trust him. 
Now, why is it that Jesus, although he came to save the world and he yearns for us to be with him, why was he so looking forward to returning to the realm of glory in God's heavenly kingdom? I'll tell you why. Because when you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, the Spirit inside of you draws you to the Father. It draws you. In fact, there's a psalm, Psalm 42, verse 1 of that psalm says, Deep calls to deep. How do you know that the Spirit of God lives inside of you? The answer is because as you continue to walk with Jesus, you feel a a feeling that words cannot express. You have a longing, a drawing from the Spirit of God to be with the Father and to be with the Son. That's what the Spirit of God does. He draws us to God. And Jesus, of course, was anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. He was with the Holy Spirit for all of eternity. And as he has the Spirit of God inside of him and a yearning to be with the Father, he's being drawn back to the right hand of the Father. And he says, it is good that I go, for that realm is greater than where I am right now. And I'm going to come back and take you there one day. But if you loved me, you would trust me and you would rejoice that I told you that's where I'm headed. And again, the disciples are eating bread saying, uh, what? They're still not processing. Perhaps today, as we even know the end of this story, we still struggle to process this because if I gave you the choice of Jesus being with you right now or being in heaven, you'd say, I want him right here. But for God's plan to unfold, he needs to be up there because his spirit has to be in you here. And that doesn't make sense to us all the time. But we need to trust that he is making good things happen because his plan transcends our understanding. It is out of this world that's number one number two jesus is set apart as a savior because his perspective is out of this world listen to verse 29 and think about how this applies to your life he says and now i have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place you may believe Again, the disciples still could not in their mind fathom that when Jesus went and stood before the Sanhedrin and proclaimed that he was the Son of God, they could not in their mind see that the the, the Jewish leaders would, would not recognize him and worship him, but instead hand him over to Pontius Pilate, who would eventually hand him over to soldiers who would put nails in his wrists and in his feet. They just couldn't get it. And Jesus says, just so you know what's going to happen, that when it does happen, you'll believe that I'm God. I'm telling you what's going to happen. I will die. I will die. Tomorrow I will be in the presence of the Sanhedrin, and then I will be in front of Pontius Pilate, and they will call me guilty, and they'll put nails again in my wrists and in my feet, and I will die a criminal's death on the cross, and I'll do it for you. And he says, I'm telling you before it takes place. Now, how could, God, how could Jesus tell us before it takes place? Yes, Jesus is 100% man, but he's also 100% God. And he had communion with the Father. And so Jesus knew all things, and he willfully came down to live the life that we were supposed to live, but we couldn't, and then die the death that we deserve, die the death that was made for us. That's what Jesus did. But Jesus, again, he willfully laid down his life. He willfully laid it down. He says to Pontius Pilate, you have no authority over me unless it was authority given to you by the Father. You don't take this life from me. I willfully lay this life down. Jesus knew what was going to happen before he ever took on flesh and blood. 
Again, Jesus doesn't fit in your box. He doesn't sit in just the present. Now, he is fully present with us, but Jesus is past, present, and future all at one time. Isn't that what the Bible says? He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus transcends time and space. And that's the kind of Savior I want to follow. Because I can only see five feet in front of me. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know where exactly I'm supposed to go. I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do. But I have an anchor for my soul. I'm anchored in Jesus who already lives in the future. I know, again, this will make your head explode. As humans, we can't fully understand this. But Jesus is already with you in the future right now. Now, he's with us in the present right now. Jim read that in the psalm. He's a good shepherd who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. But he's already with us in the future. He already sees what what we're going through now, what it's producing for the future. We can't see that. We can only see in that box. But we need to trust that he's outside of that box. He has a perspective that we cannot understand. And so before I move on to my third point, I just want to ask you this. I don't have to guess. I can look in this room right now. And I can see everybody in this room struggling with something. And you don't know how things are going to work out. I want you to think for a second that if your heart and your mind and your soul belongs to Jesus, you can completely and totally trust him, even if you don't understand what he's doing. All right, again, that's going to, that, that verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, your favorite verse, Brother Reese, that's on uh, that bookmark inside all the graduate uh, gifts. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Why? Because he stands outside of your path and he knows where your path is leading. And can I just say this from the bottom of my heart? We need to get this. You need to understand because this is what the Bible teaches. God does not promise nothing but good inside the box. God promises that he will work together all things for good that happen inside the box. So he does not promise you great health. He does not promise you great wealth. He does not promise you that the direction that our current stock market is taking, he does not promise you he's going to make a U-turn with it. In fact, and I need you to hear me on this because this is 2022. If Jesus Christ knows that complete and total financial disaster in the United States of America is what it takes to bring more people to heaven, then Jesus is going to absolutely blow up the Dow Jones. Believe it. And he will do it because he's good. Now, in the moment of financial disaster, it doesn't feel good, does it? And you know why it doesn't feel good? We can't see outside the box. But Jesus is out of this world. Jesus is building an eternal kingdom. And you need to trust that what he allows you to go through, he's working it together for good, and it won't make sense until you get to the end of the story. As somebody told me a long time ago, everything works out in the end for a follower of Jesus. If it hasn't worked out yet, it's because it's not the end yet. Again, Good Friday was not the end. Even Easter Sunday and all the glory of his resurrection, that was not the end. And even the glory of Pentecost 
when he sends down his Holy Spirit and we receive the Spirit of God and all believers walk with God living inside of us, as great as that is, that is not the end. The end is coming. I ask my five-year-old daughter every day, how do you know when Jesus comes back? And she tells me the same thing every time. Daddy, I will hear the sound of a trumpet and the voice of an angel and the dead in Christ will rise. And those who are alive at the coming of Christ will be changed in a moment. We will have a new body and we will live on a new earth. That is when finally we will be inside Jesus' box instead of trying to fit him in ours. But the question is, do you trust him right now when you can't see beyond five feet in front of you? Do you trust him that he works all things together for good? It doesn't mean all things are good. Pain is not good. Death is not good. Suffering is not good. But if you're a Christian, it produces good. Do you trust him? Do you trust his perspective? Do you trust a Savior who told his disciples, I'm telling you this is going to happen before it takes place so that when it does, you will believe? That's number two. Third and finally, Jesus is set apart as a Savior because his perfection is out of this world. Certainly his plan is out of this world. It transcends our understanding. His perspective is out of this world because he can see outside the world where we can't. But I want to talk third and finally, you need to get this. His perfection is out of this world. Listen to what he says in verses 30 through 31. He says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Now let me start with the the beginning in verse 30 where he says, The ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. Who's the ruler of this world? His name is Satan. Now, Satan only has the power in this world that God allows him to have. And you say, why is it that God would give Satan any power at all? Well, the answer to that question is this. If God removed all evil from the world, he'd have to remove me and you from the world too. Because we're sinful. We have the capacity for great evil in our hearts. And so he's allowed evil to remain on the earth for a season because he's working together a greater good out of that evil. God majors in the business of drawing straight lines with crooked sticks what God does and so God is going to use Satan like a puppet it doesn't seem like that right now but Satan's a ruler of this world but he can only do what God allows him to do and there will be a day where God says enough is enough and Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire and he will be there forever but right now the world that we live in it is a world where God has given Satan reign And again, it transcends our understanding, but God's working his sovereign plan together. But make no mistake about it, the ruler of this world is Satan. It's why you turn on the news and you see a lot more bad than good because Satan is roaming the universe. But what does Jesus say? Get this. He has no claim on me. What does Jesus mean when he says that? Here's what he means. Jesus is saying that his own testimony of righteousness is so perfect and uncompromised in every way that Satan could not hold anything against him. And you say, well, why is that important? Here's why it's important. If Jesus was not perfect, you have no shot at salvation. None. And I want you to understand this. Please, if you're, if you're tuning out, tune in here before we pray out. 
When we talk about our salvation, a lot of people seem to understand the cross, but they don't understand the 33 years that led up to the cross. All right, perhaps if I was to ask anyone, why did Jesus die on a cross? You say, well, he died for my sins. Well, how was it that Jesus dying on a cross actually forgave your sins? The answer to that is what he did for 33 years leading up to that cross. Jesus had to earn your perfection. Because you and I are not perfect, and God is absolutely, positively holy and perfect without any stain or blemish, and he will not be in the presence of sin. And so God, who loves us and wants us to be with him, but is perfect and cannot be in the presence of sin, the only way God could reconcile that conflict was to be perfect for us. And here's how Jesus did it. He entered into the world, he took on flesh and blood, and for 33 years, every day he said yes to God so that you'd be forgiven for every time you said no to God. He said yes to God every single day. He never had one sinful thought, he never spoke one sinful word, he never had one sinful action, his heart never held one sinful attitude. Can you imagine that? I mean, just think about the last 24 hours of your life. Has every single word out of your mouth in the last 24 hours been honoring to God? Has every thought in your mind in the last 24 hours been honoring to God? And you know the answer to that is, how do you react when somebody completely disrespects you? Think about, think about that sinful desire for revenge you have when somebody hurts you deep. Jesus never responded to that feeling with sin. Not once. And he did it because if he didn't, you'd have no shot at salvation. But he was perfect for you so that when he died, we call this the great exchange. The punishment, the spanking that we deserve because of our sin, Jesus took the spanking on the cross for us and then Jesus gave to us through his blood, a perfect record so that when you stand before God at judgment, he declares you perfect. I mean, we, I can talk about this until Tuesday and we're still not all gonna understand this, myself included. I can preach it, but I'm just gonna tell you, as a human being, I don't fully understand this and I won't until I stand before God and realize what his blood has done for me. But listen to the words. He says, he has no claim on me. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Now, you may say that the cross revealed the love that Christ has for the Father, but don't forget the first 33 years that led up to the cross. Jesus was perfect every day. You know, think about this. Jesus was perfect as a toddler. Can you picture Jesus in tiny tots? <laughs> Sitting perfectly, obeying the teacher perfectly, uh, giving the toy to the other kid every single time. <laughs> I don't know how all that worked. All I know is this, Jesus never sinned, never not once. And he had to because you and I can't. He is a savior who is out of this world. So as we draw to a close, I wanna sum this up in one sentence. If Jesus is out of this world, is there anything in this world you are trusting more than him? Is there anything in this world you're trusting more than him? See, what, what happens, and this is natural for every human being, all right, we look for an anchor. We look for a place that we can, we can place our trust. 
and everything apart from Jesus that we place our total trust in is sinking sand. And so what Jesus does is he searches our mind and he searches our heart and he says, what are you trusting in more than me? And Jesus often has a way of identifying the one thing that we trust more than him and removing it or breaking it in our life. You know, sometimes we think that true love rescues us from all pain. Sometimes true love leads us into pain. If you don't believe me, let me ask you, have you ever spanked your child? You spanked them because you loved them. You led them into intentional pain to bring about something greater than that moment they were getting spanked. I'll never forget it till I die. Bill Collins, a member of this church who experienced more suffering than probably anybody else in this room. Unspeakable suffering. Burying multiple children and his wife. Experiencing unspeakable physical suffering for years. He came up here and he sat right here, put him in a chair and and let him pray and, and, and speak to the church. And he says, God's love hurts people. And there was a dead silence, like, where is he going with this? And he says, if you don't believe me, listen to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe it in him would not perish but have eternal life. That love hurt. And God right now may be leading you into a season of pain because he loves you. And he wants to break you of the things you're trusting more than him. Again, I don't know what God's going to do with us personally. I don't know what God's going to do with us nationally. I know this, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And He will enable you to experience pain if it will produce the greatest good. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? Adrian Rogers used to always say, God will hurt you, but He will never harm you. There's a big difference between those two. A good parent will spank, but a good parent won't harm. So as we draw to a close, let me just say this. You're worshiping a Savior if you're a Christian who's out of this world. He does not fit in your box. He has no, there's no need for Him to explain to you why He's doing what He's doing. Now that doesn't mean in prayer we can't be honest with God and say this hurts. Or say, God, I don't know why. Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I think it's okay to be honest with God in prayer. But just know this, God is probably not going to give us all the answers as to why. Because when we get to the end of the story, we'll, we'll see why. We won't have to hear him tell us. We'll see it with our eyes. Faith will become sight. But until then, I just pray that you would trust in him. Trust in him right now. Whatever you're struggling with, if it's a physical pain, And God enables it to go without healing. He's enabling it to happen because he's working something together for good. If it's an emotional pain, I say this to the families in this room who are letting go of the graduates and you're going to have a new dynamic in the home. And that may be a new season that may not be the most fun season for you. And if you're experiencing separation, anxiety, and pain because your children are not living under your roof, just know this, God is good. It's an opportunity for you to experience intimacy with him right now in a brand new way. All right? Again, if you're experiencing relational conflict, God is good. He's working it together for good. Do you trust him? As, As Jesus was telling his disciples, I'm going, but I'm coming back. Believe in me. Trust me. 
I want you to do the same thing. Trust Him. And if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, perhaps the pain that you're going through right now led you to the pew that you're sitting in to hear the words that you're hearing because He's waiting for you to say, Jesus, I give it all to you. I'm done. I'm done. It's all yours. If that's you, give it to Christ. Confess with your tongue that He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and give Him full authority over your life. Yes, we worship a good Savior. He's a Savior who is out of this world. Let's pray. Lord, we need to trust that you see what we cannot see, that you know what we do not know, that you are in the beginning, the middle, and the end of the story all at one time, and we're stuck here in the middle. We grieve over the past, and we are fearful of what lies ahead. But you are already with us at the end of the story right now. So Lord, help us not to stick you in our box. Help us not to trust that you're going to make all the experiences inside the box as great as it could be if that prevents us from experiencing the greater good when you come back. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room that they would know Jesus as Lord and Savior and that we would trust you and obey you and, and give our lives to you and just know that every day you're working things together for a greater good that we cannot understand for those that love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, help us to leave today more trusting you than when we came in because you deserve it. It's in Jesus' name we pray.